Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Has the Lord ever asked you to do something for Him and you struck out early? Then I will tell you that this message this morning is for you. We're going to find out that whenever we struggle with God, and it's not because the Lord has failed to keep his promise, but because we have slacked off in our worshiping the Lord and keeping our eyes solely on him. And so this morning, we're going to examine an account in the life of the Old Testament character Jehoshaphat. Now, he was the son and successor of Azza, king of Judah, and his name means Yahweh establishes justice. Now, Hebrew names often determined a person's uh, life direction. And Jehoshaphat's destiny was to be utilized by the Lord to establish God's justice within the kingdom. Jehoshaphat fortified Judah against Israel to the north and against its notorious leader, Ahab. And he set himself to the task of cleansing the land of idolatry, as we see in 1 Kings chapter 22. But in the third year of his reign, he sent out priests over the land to instruct the people in the law of the Lord. And as a result, his actions, he enjoyed a great measure of peace and prosperity, and the blessings of God rested on the people. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. As we read in Second Chronicles. Which is where we're at a lot this morning. But the first key to overcoming spiritual attacks through our worship. Is to seek God when the enemy attacks. Jehoshaphat was doing a good thing in Judah by sending priests throughout the land. And they were teaching people the law of the Lord and casting down idols. And here we see trouble coming upon Jehoshaphat immediately. Now the Bible doesn't come right out and say that Satan was the culprit, but from what we know about the devil and many of his schemes, we know and we can presume that he was behind this event. So Satan always seeks to foil God's plans by attempting to frighten believers and by instilling doubt within their hearts. The people who had arrived to attack Jehoshaphat were from Moab and Ammon, and a few other places, as mentioned in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20. But these would-be attackers, if you look down in verse 10, were the people that God would not let Israel invade 
when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. So Judah was being assaulted by the, the Canaan from Egypt. In other words, the people who came against Jehoshaphat could have been considered allies. Doesn't Satan like to turn allies and friends against us? If you'll recall, he used one of Jesus' friends, Judas Iscariot, to betray him, to be crucified. And whenever a friend turns on us, it can be one of the most hurtful experiences in our lives. Would you agree with me? And when we're hurting, the worst is when we often think irrationally and begin to blame God for the bad things that are happening to us. In such a time, it can be easy to forsake the Lord and the task that he has set before us. What if, what if, a question we often ask when we are confronted with fear, doubt, and helplessness. What if they keep coming? What if we aren't strong enough to defend ourselves? What if, what if, what if? Fear. Fear, and that's what brings on the what ifs, isn't it? The fear of the unknown. That's why we ask the question, what if? Whenever this question in the fear of the unknown plagues of our mind, we need to remember one thing. Nothing is unknown to God. Nothing is unknown to God. God is omniscient. We worry about the things that we have little or no control over. What if I don't get that raise in promotion? What if I get sick and I can't work? What if lightning strikes my house and I lose everything that I own? I've tried not to worry about those things that I have no control over, but I fail miserably. And I think you could probably say the same. It's something we do as humans, don't we? We worry about the little things, and then somehow the big things come along and we do okay. Or maybe it's vice versa for you. But we do. We worry about things. And it, usually it's things we can't even control. You know, we, we let worry work for us, and we get busy and do what I need to do to ease our worries. But if we would just stop worrying about those things that we have no control over, it would cut our worry by 90%. But God not only knows about the unknown, he's omniscient, and nothing is unknown to him, but he's also omnipresent. A lot of times we worry about the what-ifs, but we can't be there, and therefore we can't do anything about it. But God doesn't have that problem, does he? He's omnipresent. Psalm 139, uh, verses 7 through 10, it says, we fear the unknown because we can't control it. So what do we do as Christians? We seek the Lord. We seek the Lord. And that makes sense. If it's out of our hands, we need to put it in God's hands. So how did Jehoshaphat do this? He proclaimed a fast. This showed his sincerity. This showed his sincerity. If you are sincere about your problem... 
and you are, and if you're worrying about it, get serious about taking it to God and let him worry about it. But not as a last resort, but as a first resort. That's what Jehoshaphat did. You can worry and you can sit idle and this can cause ulcers, this can, you know, nervous breakdowns, crying, whatever. We've all experienced these things. And you can worry yourself sick. But as long as you can't eat because you're sick with worry, put it to good use. Fast. Jehoshaphat, yeah, I know. We laugh. But it's a serious thing. If we're not able to eat because we're worrying, put it to use. We can put all these things to use, and it is in God's plan for us. Understand that. Jehoshaphat asked for God's help. Don't get serious about worrying. Get serious about taking it to God. What do you need to worry about? The what-ifs? You worry because you're helpless. Hello? Ask somebody who can help. That's what my wife tells me. Hello? You don't know how to do something? Ask somebody for help. Don't be stubborn. <laughs> Guess who wins that argument? Yeah. Yeah. What else did Jehoshaphat do that we need to be doing? Well, he prayed. He acknowledged God's power. Since we are helpless, turn to somebody who isn't. When we say, what if, what if, what if, what are we really saying? We're saying that God's not in control, that he's lost his power. It's like saying that God isn't relevant in our lives. God, what if you die or something? What if you can't handle this problem? It's too big for you. What if you don't know what to do? That's pretty ridiculous to say, isn't it? So let's stop the what ifs and start with the who now. Who now? God, that's who now. Jehoshaphat acknowledged God's power. And getting back to the story... God wanted Jehoshaphat to do something great for him. But then lo and behold, the devil came around and tried to cause him to doubt and abort his mission. One commentator shed some light on how Satan uses doubt to foil many God-sized dreams. God places dreams and visions in the hearts of his people. They begin as little seeds, just as a woman has a seed planted in her womb when she becomes pregnant. So we, as Christians, become pregnant, so to speak, with the things God speaks and with the things that God promises. And during that pregnancy, Satan works hard to try to get us to abort our dreams. And the main tool that he uses is doubt. And another is unbelief. But this process of doubt can be observed in the animal kingdom. Now, I used to watch Animal Planet all the time. I don't have as much time to do that anymore. But when I did, they showed a program about a pregnant panda bear with a missing paw. 
Stop me if you've already heard this. But there's a panda bear that was without a paw, okay? And the bear doubted and worried that she would be unable to take care of the cub. And this is while this particular panda was in captivity. So she was unsure she was un, you know, going to take care of this cub. And so her body would naturally push that cub away. Satan does the same thing to our mind, doesn't he? He will tell us that we're insufficient to handle the Lord's assignments. And he'll cause us to doubt until we abort our mission. Now, Satan succeeded in making Jehoshaphat afraid, as referenced in verse 3. And usually what happens when a believer becomes afraid is he will resort to reason for a solution. He will rely on his own understanding instead of God's infinite wisdom. And that's how problems start. A believer can actually reason himself out of God's will if he's not careful. And Jehoshaphat feared, but unlike many people, he kept his head on straight. And he relied on God instead of himself. We read how he asked the Lord for help and sought him desperately in Second Chronicles 20, verse 4. Set an example for all of Judah to follow and example for all of us believers today. It says, confess your weakness and his strength. That's what Joseph had did. He confessed his weakness, but he also confessed that his strength only came from the Lord. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are set upon you. The second key to overcoming spiritual attacks through our worship is to confess our weakness and God's strength. The Lord's desire is to deliver us from the enemy, but he can't do so until we let go of the reins. We have to be willing to take that control and give it to God. We let go by humbling ourselves as Jehoshaphat did. But we also admit that we have no power or control by ourselves. We must be willing to let go and let God. Let go and let God. We allow the Lord to work in our life by fixing our eyes solely on him. As Jehoshaphat did. We have to stop trying to figure out things through human logic and effort. And I know that's difficult. We have to let God's grace work in our life. The Lord's free gift of his help in time of need. In other words, his grace will only work in our life when we let go. When we seek God's face and ask for his guidance. Charles Ryrie provides an example of how grace works in our lives. He says, if you 
offered to give $1 to a man whom you knew needed $100 and he rejected your $1 gift, you would doubtlessly consider his refusal sufficient grounds for declining to give him further assistance. So if, on the other hand, the needy man accepted the $1 gift gratefully, you might try to give him more. And this is similar to how God's gift of grace works in our life. Because the Lord will actually refuse to help us if we push him aside and attempt to do our own thing. That is the state of this country. We're pushing him aside, and so he's no longer wanting to help us. God says we must turn back to him. That we must focus our eyes solely upon him. That we've got it all figured out on our own, though, don't we? That's what we think. We think we've got it all figured out. However, if we look only onto God, then we're showing our dependence on him like a little child. And he will gladly rush in and provide us the help we need. But we must also confess that this battle that we're fighting, this spiritual battle that we are fighting, is not ours. This is not our fight. In verses 13 through 17 in Second Chronicles 20, it says, Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Notice that. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. We try to play God, don't we? We try to fight his battles. We try to take away his power, don't we? But here's the message from God. He's saying, for the battle is not yours, but mine. So we let God worry. We let God worry about the unknown. And guess what? God doesn't worry, does he? So let God fight the battles you can't fight. Let God take control of the things you have no control over. Let God use his power over the things that you have no power over. And the third key 
to overcoming our spiritual attack through our worship is to confess that the battle is not ours. By the Spirit of the Lord, Jehaziel proclaimed, do not be afraid nor dismayed. So why is it so important to stand still and allow the Lord to fight on our behalf? The reason why is because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. The struggles that we face in life might appear to be the result of this physical world. However, we must keep in mind that the things that we can see with our own two eyes are only an illusion. This is not our home. This is not where we belong. God is calling us home. However, in the meantime, we fight the fights that God calls us to fight. We continue steadfast in our conviction. We bring the message of the Lord to those who desperately need it. And we do not waver. We do not waver. Many of the trials we encounter will occur because of the actions of people. However, even though it appears that the struggle is with people, the Bible plainly says that believers do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There are spiritual forces that work behind the wrong choices that people make. Paul stated, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So we are not wrestling against people, but against the spiritual realm. Therefore, we need a spiritual being to serve as our advocate and helper. And the only one who's capable of that job is Jesus Christ. Those who know and follow Jesus are on the right side of the battle because he is Lord. Having said that, in verses 18 through 22 of 2 Chronicles 20, it says that we must simply worship the Lord. Simply worship the Lord. We don't have to have grand events. We don't have to have a concert, even though they're wonderful. We don't have to have a special event. It says we are just to simply worship the Lord. Right where we're sitting, right where we're standing. When we're on the bus, we're in the car, we're at home, Heaven forbid you're in the bathroom, wherever it might be. It says simply worship the Lord. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Kohathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. It didn't say the good people who can sing. It said all of us, we stand up, we be loud, we be proud. We proclaim the gospel of Christ. We allow God to work through us to witness to those, to bring them into the kingdom. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, 
and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. How many of our wonderful military branches put people in the front lines praying? Have we ever done that? Just a line of people just standing there praying. But isn't that what God is calling us to do? especially in our own spiritual battle, that we are to pray, that we are to worship him. And so it says, now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sire, who had come against Judah. They were the ones on the front lines, people who prayed, people who gave everything to the Lord, people who set their eyes Upon the Lord solely. And it says, and they were defeated. There was no physical battle. The battle was already won through that spiritual battle, which we do not have to fight. We must simply get out of the way and let the Lord work. Our final key to overcoming our spiritual attack through our worship is to simply bow down and worship the Lord. We must simply bow down and worship the Lord. Have you ever heard of the military strategy where worshipers were sent out to stand at the front line of that battle? I have never heard of that. But how great would that be? How afraid would you be on the other side if you didn't know God? What are these people doing? Would you consider worship as your first line of defense? Jehoshaphat did. And he did just that. And we read that when the people of Israel began to sing and to praise, that the Lord defeated the enemies. And this was before they saw the victory. They had praise and peace before they saw God work it out because they quit saying, what if? And they started saying, who now? Who now? So what did God do? Later on in verses 20 through 25, we see that the three armies were gathered together to attack Judah and King Jehoshaphat led his army out and they started singing and praising God. And when the enemy heard this, it confused them. And so what did they do? They fought each other. They fought each other until every last one of them were dead. If that's not powerful, I don't know what is. God can do anything he wants. Their what if turned into who now and God did the rest. They gave thanks to the Lord. Notice, joy, rejoice, rest, or worry. 
It's your choice. You can choose to have those things, or you can choose not to exhibit those things in your life. This is not something that God preordained for you. You make the choice. You're having a bad day? Rely upon the Lord. You can choose to be angry. You can choose to be sad. God wants to fight those battles alongside with us if we allow him to. So, what if, what if, what if, or who now? Where do we stand? What makes the what, what, what makes the difference? What lessons do we need to carry away from this very simple message this morning? God knows all about your unknown. Know this. Mark that down. God knows all about your unknown. God fights the battles you cannot fight. Give God control over the things that you have no control over. And let God use his power over the things that you have no power over. Seems simple. But we like to have that control. We do. I understand that. But when we let it go, watch what God can do. Because God is greater than your what-ifs. God is greater than our what-ifs. Jehoshaphat and all of Judah bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord. And whenever we worship God, we ascribe to him the position of value and worth. Because that's what the word worship means. He becomes of utmost importance and value in our life. To the point that all other matters fade into obscurity and the Lord becomes our sole focus and heart's desire. When God becomes our point of focus, then we'll be begin ignoring Satan and all the fiery darts that he hurls at us. There's hardly anything that bothers someone more than being ignored. If we want to strike back at Satan and all the pain and confusion that he's caused us, then we need to begin worshiping the Lord and ignoring the devil. Satan can only harm us when we listen to his lies and focus on them. However, if, we'll, if we only just ignore him and concern ourselves only with the things of God, then the devil can't get to us as easily. And now, having understood that, and I know most of us do, it's a, more, it's a different thing putting it in, into practice, right? But know this, the one prevailing truth that remains constant throughout our text this morning is to the submission to the will of God. If we apply Jeremiah 29.11 to our lives, it tells us the Lord wants to prosper us and not harm us and to give us a future and a hope. However, we, all on our own, lack the necessary skills to navigate life storms to achieve this future 
and hope. The Lord is our master helmsman, and he knows the safest course of passage, and we must learn to rely totally on him. I'm reminded of Peter when he first met Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus used Peter's boat to speak to a crowd of people. When Jesus finished speaking, he then told Peter, he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So Jesus' request had two strikes against it here. Jesus is the son of a carpenter and he's talking to a professional fisherman. They had nothing to show for all their efforts and now Jesus wanted them to fish in the morning. All their nets were washed up and put up to dry for the day. But I like how Peter responded. He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. The size of the catch was so large that the two boats began to sink. And surprisingly, Jesus knew Peter's vocation better than Peter. And the next thing you know, Peter is on his knees before Jesus. Peter is worshiping God in great humility. Can we submit to the authority of the king even in places you know best? When we're feeling lost and void of direction in life, can we look upon the bright and morning star that is Jesus Christ? Can we do that? And if we can, if we look unto him and focus on him and worship him, then he will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And the Lord will keep us safe and fight our battles. And if the Bible is right, which I think it is, there are very few things that are eternal. Your career accomplishments aren't eternal. Your accomplishments in marriage isn't even eternal. I don't have many yet. I'll let you know when I do. Your patriotism is not eternal. Worship is eternal. Worship alone endures. If worship is eternal, shouldn't we give some attention to worship now? Are we focusing on Jesus and giving him our full devotion and our entire heart? And are we worshiping and honoring him daily with our lives? The Bible says that if we will worship and trust in the Lord, then he will be our help and shield, and he will cover our head in the day of battle. Going back to VBS this summer. And it keeps poking its head. That's not by any surprise. We are constantly fighting a spiritual battle, but we have to equip ourselves so we know what to do when the time comes. And if we're believers sitting here today, then we need to ask ourselves this question. Do we worship the Lord on a daily basis? And if not, then we need to start seeking him afresh. Amen? 
if we do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, then the invitation is extended to you. Always has and always will be. Because the Lord, our God, loves you unconditionally. He wants to be your helper. He wants to be your Savior. And you can do that. And you can leave here this morning forgiven of your sins. Having the security of eternal life. And those of you who have secured that through your relationship to Christ, then it becomes this. What am I doing today for the Lord? Am I worshiping him on that daily basis? Am I allowing God to speak through me to others? Am I allowing him to have it his way and not my own? We need to consider this daily, sometimes hourly, because we just don't know when this life is over. We're not guaranteed anything. And so we must act now. And we can have the joys of this life now if we are in accordance to the scriptures, in accordance to us focusing our eyes solely upon him. Easy enough, right? Some shake your heads yes. Some are like, I'll let you know. That's okay. We're here to help. God is there to help because only he can save us. Amen. Dave. It seems each and every week more and more families are asking for help, asking for prayer. Some families are imploding and it continues to be like a domino. And your sermon is just absolutely encouraging because the psalmist tells us that we worship while we wait. If we're praying to the Lord, worship prepares us to receive the answer. And that answer from the Lord simply could be no. And at times we can take that heart. But yet when we worship him, it prepares us to receive his answer and to praise him for what he gives us in that answer. So may we worship as we go today, and let's stand together and sing praise to him and cake it into the week as we sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him as we leave your house this morning I pray that we are in commune with you daily that we worship you for who you are and who you are is our Savior thank you for the opportunity to be here to worship you to give you praise and Lord I pray that it spills out from these doors this morning to reach those who desperately need to know you
Lord, give us the opportunity to speak to those and to bring them into the kingdom, Lord. We thank you for your blessings and all that you do for us. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.